Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. Today we're going to look at Lesson 5 of our Heaven's Library, Books and More series, where we are exploring the things that God's Word tells us are kept, collected, or recorded in Heaven. And so I just want to review a few things. First of all, we looked at the eternal Word of God, and that is the most important. Genesis through Revelation, including all of the Torah, including in the Torah, the Book of the Covenant or the Law, and the Book of the Curses and Blessings that it contains. In the second episode, we talked about the personal Book of Life or days of each person, because Jesus, our Creator, God, has included and has written down every detail of us and even God's beautiful plan and purpose for us before we were ever even born. Third, we looked at the book of vials of tears, showing how tenderly the Lord is near to his people and cares about helping us. In the fourth lesson, we talked about the bowls of incense, God's tenderness revealed in his collection of our tears for whatever reason we shed them, good or bad, and how these, then coupled with our prayers, representative of our prayers, coming before God as a sweet aroma. So the bowls of incense represent our prayers coming before the Lord as a sweet aroma. I want to add one scripture as we transition from the bowls of incense into today's lesson as well, in regard to how tenderly the Lord keeps our prayers. Notice this in Psalm 141, verse 2. The psalmist prays, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And we talked about in that lesson how the evening sacrifice, the hour of prayer, when the incense was burned and the prayers were offered how that is such a sweet aroma to God, and it's the most beloved of all of his daily services. How precious are the collections and the inventory that we have studied so far, these things that sit in what we might call God's library in heaven and are kept by him. So today we want to look at another collection or inventory that God keeps, and this is the inventory record of his created things. I want us to go first of all to the very beginning. In Genesis 1-1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God. God is the creator, Elohim, the God who is the triune God the complete Godhead in total unity, even in the diversity of the persons of the Godhead. We believe in one God expressed in three persons, all united in their diversity, in their diverse roles. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons and he is the creator. He made all things. 
Let's look at a couple other scriptures real quick. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Praise be to God. We have a creator God, and he is the same one that has also built and is building his church. He is the eternal God the creator, the same one that was in the beginning, who made all things, created all things. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus here, the Word of God, the living Word of God. Verse 2 and forward, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then if you jump down to verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So it's talking about Jesus and how he is the one who made all things. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see all three persons of the Godhead in operation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He made all things, all things, and he made beautiful things out of nothing. There was nothing until God spoke and it came into being. There's no big bang that happened other than maybe, if you want to call it that, a big bang of God speaking, and it comes to pass. There is no big bang. There is no evolution. It didn't take billions and billions of years ago. There's nothing scriptural that we can look at that can justify such a concept. The Bible gives us a clear concept, and when the Bible speaks clearly, we don't add to it. We don't take away from it. Those things bring curses on people. You can read that in Deuteronomy. You can also read it in Revelation chapter 22. Anytime someone plays around with the word of God to make it fit their mentality or to make it say something that it does not literally say and mean, then you need to get away from those people. That is not sound doctrine. We don't read into the scriptures what we want it to say. Let it say what it says. The Bible says what it, it says. It means what it says, and it says what it means. So God tells us in Genesis 1 that it was six literal days. And this is made very clear to us in how he describes each day, because he says first day, second day, third day, etc. But then also, he tells us the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day, and so on. It was six 
24-hour days just like we know them today, the evening and the morning, God's work week. And then we noticed that God instituted the seventh day as a Sabbath rest. Now, I want to speak on this for just one second. It's not because he was tired. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 40 and other places, God never gets tired. He never rests. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never tired. The reason he rested was twofold. One, because the work was finished and completed. He was able to sit because all that was ready now, all that had been created was ready for habitation and relationship of mankind to God. And also, God wanted to institute the Sabbath rest as a pattern for man. That's why when you read about it, you will find the Sabbath being instituted and being celebrated as a day of rest. And then you come to the Torah and the law, when Moses wrote those things, he just codified that. But it was already in operation because God had already established it from Genesis. Then you go to Hebrews chapter 4, and you find that the rest was instituted because the completion of the work. And in Jesus Christ, that's how we have our rest. We rest. We don't have to worry about, am I saved or not? Have I done enough good deeds? What about this? Oh, my God, I might not have earned enough brownie points. No, we don't have to do that when we have put our entire faith and hope in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, that he and he alone paid the ransom and the death sentence that we were due to pay. He did it in our place, and we believe that his blood is enough that paid for our sins, and we believe that God approved of that sacrifice because he raised him from the dead. And that is what gives us rest in Jesus Christ because he completed the work and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So let's dive a little bit into this book of the inventory of God's created things. And I just want to share a few things. Some are coming from science and other things. Some are from the scriptures. But the scriptures is an excellent science book. And true science is all about seeking the truth about creation, about the things that exist, about nature, about biology, about astronomy, etc. So let's first talk about these things. In his inventory, we have the heavenly and celestial spaces and beings. There is a vast universe that we call the heavens. Vast outer space, vast universe. Science can't even get far enough to find the end of it. As a matter of fact, beloved friend, we may find out there is no end of it. But it is vast, and even science admits that, that it's, they call it the known universe, as far as some of the images and some of the information that they bring to us through NASA, through Hubble Telescope, and other places. Now, I want to address this for a moment. There is a significant difference between astronomy and astrology. Astronomy is the study of the heavenlies and the celestial beings, but it is true science in the sense that we are 
examining those things not for the purpose of worshiping them, but for the purpose of understanding them and for the purpose as a Christian of glorifying God and just seeing his majesty and his magnificence. Astrology, on the other hand, is an inclination or a worship of the heavenlies. It's a spiritual form of worship or intrigue in the celestial skies, and it is of the devil. It is of Satan himself. Have nothing whatsoever to do with it, even if it has some Christian tag on it. This includes things like the worship of the sun, moon, planets, or stars. It includes any form of astrology or zodiac, signs, etc. It includes horoscopes, tarot cards, palm reading, all of those kinds of things. And I've even been told and found out that there's some kind of destiny cards that are going around in the churches and people are trying to promote that as some kind of Christian thing. It is not. These things are occultic. They are part of astrology. They are from the devil, have nothing whatsoever to do with those. But in that universe, in the heavenlies, God the Creator has established planets, stars, sun, moon, orbits, galaxies, so much. It's massive space. And in this space, science tells us that the measurement to get around in the grand universe is in light years. The light year is the distance that light travels in one Earth year. That ends up being approximately six trillion miles, almost 10 trillion kilometers. So if something were studied by scientists and astronomers and said to be 20 light years away, for instance, that would be 120 trillion miles away. If science tells us it's 200 light years away, we are talking about a lot of zeros behind that 12. 200 times 6 trillion miles or 120 quadrillion miles away. So we're talking about vast, even almost innumerable it's a massive number. In the heavenlies, we find different things that God made to be there. One is the universe, the galaxies, the planets, the stars. God made the whole of it. The vast observable universe so far has been discovered and known to be about, and this is an estimate, about 46.5 billion light years. It's a massive number. They have found, I believe, an estimate of about two trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies. Ours is the little old Milky Way, one among these, and it is a small one at that. Think about that. The galaxy that God put in motion and in place called the Milky Way Galaxy. That's what we call it. I don't know what God calls it. We'll have to find out when we get up there and maybe he can show us this book. But we call it the Milky Way. It's only one among some two trillion galaxies or more. And that's all we've discovered thus far. 
and it is a small one at that. And then inside the whole of the Milky Way galaxy, there's one little tiny planet that we're going to talk about in a minute that God put perfectly in place and put all of us on it. It's like a pea seed. It's tiny. It's very, very tiny. And yet God's heart is here with us. Praise be to God. Scientists estimate that only about 10% of these 2 trillion galaxies are visible to us right now with current technology. It'll take bigger and more advanced technologies to see the other 90% if we ever could actually do it. God put in these, in these galaxies in outer space, stars and constellations. Now we do call the zodiac the constellations that we are aware of. However, keep in mind, the zodiac has become a part of astrology and false or celestial worship by the devil. It's been corrupted, but it was made by God. God even names some things about that in his word. See, what happens is Satan takes what God makes, what God institutes, and then he corrupts it into sin, into idolatry, etc. But God was the creator of every bit of it. Let's read in Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He made the Pleiades and Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So right here we're told about two distinct stars, parts of constellations, Pleiad, Pleiades, and Orion. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Pleiades correctly or not. I'm not a scientist, so I don't try to claim to be one. But he made those two, the Bible tells us, and it is the Lord who is the name of their creator, the God of Genesis, the God of the Bible, the God who created all things in Genesis chapter 1. Then in Job, Job has actually a lot of science in his book. There's a lot you can learn from Job about science because God was the creator of it all and he revealed to Job. In Job chapter 9, let's read verses 4 through 10. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Think about that. God spread out this massive universe that science can only tell us so far has two trillion galaxies. And each one of those are huge. So God just spread it out like a curtain, like a blanket you'd spread on a bed. He just spread it out. And he treads on the waves of the sea. 
That's why they were amazed when Jesus walked on the water because they knew it was God because Job had already told them that. Notice in verse 9, he made the bear part of the constellation, Orion and the Pleiades. I don't know if I'm correcting, correctly pronouncing that. And the chambers of the south. He does great things past, past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. This is our God. This is our God, the creator God, and he's got all of this recorded for us in heaven somewhere. And maybe one day we'll get a chance to read that book and see all the wonders that God has made. In Job chapter 38, beginning in verse 31, it says this, Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades? Or loose the belt of Orion. Can you bring out Maserat in its season? I believe that's another name for what we would call the Zodiac. Can Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up their your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? We can't do that. But God, who created them, is the one that, that this is talking about here. And there are specific names of certain constellations or stars that God gives us here, recorded in his word, and we know that he is the creator of all of them. Then when we look in the Psalms, let's go to Psalm chapter 147, verse 4 and 5. And it says this, He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. God not only made the stars, he counts them. God not only created the stars, but he gave a name to every one of them. Now, NASA might tell us this is, you know, B5C25Z40 or whatever. I mean, I don't know how they number these things. But NASA generally will give them maybe an, an alphanumeric kind of title or something along those lines. Maybe NASA gives them other names. But God has a name written in his book, in his inventory, for every one of the stars, every planet, every star, every celestial creature or being that he has ordained. And then in Isaiah chapter 40, we find the same thing in verse 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number, he calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. He's talking about the heavenlies here. He's talking about the stars, the planets, the constellations, the sun, the moon, etc. And he has named them all and not one of them that he created has gone missing outside of his will or his knowledge. We just may not have discovered even the half of everything that our beautiful God with infinite knowledge and wisdom has created. I just want to mention this. Louis Giglio 
has done a couple of videos. One is based on and taken from Chris Tomlin's Indescribable. And there's another one, How Great Is Our God? He may have done others before or after those. I'm not sure. But I know those two, he brings in a lot of these points. He talks about several stars and, and takes us way out into the universe in some of these descriptions. It's interesting. He, he uses kind of in one of those, he, he likens the earth as if it were a little golf ball. And then he'll show you, you know, in, in there about the descriptions and he'll, he'll compare it, say, for instance, taking your golf ball to New York City and putting it by the Empire State Building, you know, as, as far as the way to measure the earth versus one of the other stars or planets that he's talking about, etc. For instance, he brings out Pulsar, which is one of the planets that provides music in heaven. It's a rhythm to it. There is a sound produced by that planet. Then he brings out the darling of the whirlpool galaxy is what he calls it. And it's a literal cross in the skies. And NASA doesn't even know what to do with it. They just call it an X. But if you look at it, it's a cross. As a matter of fact, that's the image that I put on the cover of my book, Celestial Secret. It's a biblical fiction novel about the gospel of Jesus Christ from the angel's perspective. If you're interested, you can find information about it from my website. You can go and it'll give you a direct link to Amazon where you can order it. But it's called Celestial Secret. And that image on the cover is where I took this darling of the whirlpool galaxy, this cross in the skies somewhere in this galaxy that God made. He put the cross right there. It's never been an afterthought, beloved friend, that God would give his son for you and me. Praise be to God. He even stuck it in his massive galaxy in the universe. Then we find our solar system. Let's talk about our solar system for a moment. The Milky Way galaxy. And closer in, in the Milky Way galaxy, we find our sun, our moon, our planets, and our stars. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Because Genesis is the book of beginnings. They're sheeped. And it is the book of the beginnings of all things. God tells us how it all, it all started. He tells us exactly how creation went. So let's note this in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. This does not mean for signs and seasons, days and years for you to worship them. It's not about that. It is not for worship or astrology, but it is for good purposes for us to glorify God in the first place for them and thank him because they declare his glory, but also for our good. We needed these things. We needed the seasons. We needed the signs. We needed the days. We needed the years. So God in his goodness gave those to us, but we do not worship those things. We worship God, the living God, the creator of all of them. Continuing on in the reading. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. 
So God made the sun, moon, the planets, and the stars all throughout the universe, including in the Milky Way. And then he, he specifically detailed for us the sun, the moon, and the earth. And notice the earth is in perfect position from the sun. God saw to that. If the earth was farther away, even by a little bit, we would freeze to death. If the earth was nearer to the sun, even by a little bit, we would be scorched and burn up. God set the position of the earth in relation to our sun in its perfect place. Praise be to God. Then God made in the heavenlies celestial beings. God created angels. These are created beings. They're also referred to many times in, in scripture as the host of heaven. When he says he is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sebaot, it means he is the Lord of the army of the host of angels that serve him. Angels were created and they were created by God to be his servants. In Psalm 103, verses 20 through 22, it says this, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In all places of his dominion, all over the entire vast universe, guess who rules it? The Lord does. And he has created angels to be his servants in all areas of his dominion. And they are to bless his name and to do what he has asked them to do. In Psalm 104, verse 4, it says this, Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. And that phrase is quoted by the author of Hebrews from the Psalms in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Of the angels, we only have three particular names given to us in Scripture. Although we are told that there are thousands upon thousands of other ones, they are innumerable. The Word of God tells us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So right here, the word of God is speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, and tells us more about what's there and who's there. And one of the categories of those who are there is an innumerable company of angels. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, he speaks about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are ministering to him. Yet God knows them all by name. Even though we're only given three names in Scripture, we're given Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer was his original name. He has now fallen. He was a created being, but he rebelled against God, siring himself, iniquity, and pride, 
and sin and has been cast out of heaven. In heaven, you also find four living creatures and they're one category of these celestial beings, these angels. The angels also are listed for us in scripture as angels, cherubim, seraphim, different ranks, maybe different titles, different positions. Lucifer was one of those, but he has fallen. He has been kicked out of heaven and is no more in heaven. He has now become Satan and he took a third of the angels with him according to the scriptures. And those have become now the kingdom of this world, the demonic realm or the demons, Satan and his demons, Satan and his powers of darkness. We read about Satan's fall in Isaiah chapter 14, in Ezekiel chapter 28, and Jesus affirms it in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He's known in scripture in many different ways. He's the serpent in Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and referred to by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. He's the prince of the power of the air, Paul tells us in his writings. Jesus called him the prince of this world. Peter calls him the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus called him Satan. John in Revelation calls him the dragon. He is the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of this world, over his demonic realm. But God is greater. God is the victor, and God defeats his enemies, including Satan and all of his demonic realm. Satan is not the same as Jesus. He's not a brother of Jesus. Lucifer is not a brother of Jesus. Lucifer and Jesus, Satan and Jesus are not on the same plane. Jesus is the son of the living God. And Satan was a created being just like every other angel. But he has now fallen and rebelled against God. God is greater and he is the victor. God defeats Satan. Jesus is the son of the living God. Notice this. This is very interesting. Notice this in Matthew chapter 8. We read of an account where there are demon-possessed men that were very fierce and very evil, very tormenting, tormenting to others. And they were just possessed by these demons. Jesus comes to them. Notice this in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 8 in this story. And suddenly they, the demons that were in this man, in these men, the demons cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Notice what we learn from these demons here. First of all, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know he is the son of the living God. They know he is the one who controls all things. They know he is the one with the authority to even torment them. And they also know that there is an appointed time by God where they will be tormented. This verse tells us quite a bit. And the demons know exactly who Jesus is. They believe, according to James chapter 2, verse 19, but they are not saved. 
meaning that they know exactly who he is, but they will not submit to him. They cannot be saved now. They, but they know exactly who he is and they know his authority. Jesus won the victory at the cross in full, but we've not recognized the entirety of the fullness of that. And we will not until Jesus comes again, defeats his enemies and cast the devil into the abyss, binds him for a thousand years, and then at the end of that thousand years, cast him into the lake of fire. But now in Christ Jesus, even though we still have the presence of Satan in our midst, in the sense that he is still the prince of the power of this air for this season, Jesus has defeated him on the cross and we can have victory and live victoriously according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Satan's end is the lake of fire and he will be thrown there in a coming day. God made the earth and its inhabitants also, and this is recorded for us. We're given the information in Genesis 1 and 2. Notice this, the earth is the only planet that is so zeroed in or honed in by God, so specifically defined by God, and is inhabitable according to the scriptures. And the earth is special because it's God's crown of creation. And God's crown of creation is on the earth. Guess who that is? You and me. Adam and Eve and all people from them. We were designed to bear the image of God. We were created in his image so that we could represent him correctly to the world. Let's talk about the earth and what is inhabiting the earth. In the Gospels, we're told about birds, for instance. In, in Genesis, of course, we're told about all the things that God created. But even in the Gospels, they're affirmed. The birds, the sparrow falls, guess what? God takes note of that. The lilies of the field, God clothes them. The birds of the air, God feeds them. In the Old Testament, in the book of Job, you can read about many different accounts of all the various parts of creation all the things that God has made. The water cycle is even found for us in the Bible. Job speaks of it. Ecclesiastes speaks of it. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that speaks of it. How God draws up the moisture through evaporation from the earth into the heavenlies, into the air and the atmosphere, gathers these into the clouds, and then through wind, etc., brings them in different places and brings down that moisture as rain. This is that water cycle, and then it starts all over again. The Bible is a great science book, but there are also other godly biblical resources that we can look at. One that I would highly recommend is Ken Ham's Answers in Genesis, and he covers many topics. They have the Creation Museum, they have the Ark Encounter, and he has Answers in Genesis, and he has Homeschool Curriculum, Sunday school curriculum, etc. But he is a great resource for these types of discussions and learning more about what God said about science. God put people on the earth. That was the crown of his creation, beginning with Adam and Eve. And he has made each individual person 
we're told. And remember, we studied that in the second lesson. Formed in the womb by God. We looked at Psalm 139 and other places. We also see another scripture that speaks of how he, he formed the bones in the womb of the mother. All of us were made to reflect the image of Jesus, to reflect the image of God, to live with him in relationship, to live with him in love, to live for him in service. God has recorded our days, our moments, our life plan, our actions, even the very hairs of our head he has numbered. God tracks everything and everyone. He is amazing. Even before any telescopes or space shuttles or space stations, David in the Psalms says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, this is found in Psalm chapter 8, and I'm reading verse 3 through 9. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. David writes, before there was ever the first telescope or space shuttle, what is man that you are mindful of him? And all David had was as a shepherd in a field near Bethlehem the night sky. He couldn't see beyond it with any telescope, but he could tell there was a great and massive, beautiful God out there who created beautiful shining stars and things in the heavens that humbled him. It humbled him to realize all of this beauty and vastness you've made. And what in the world? Who am I that you would look upon me? Who am I that you would talk to me? Who am I that you would visit me? It's very humbling when we realize these things. And his son Solomon writes about this as well. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 and 2. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter, utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's very humbling when we keep in mind that the great God of the universe who made the vastness that we can't even see with an innumerable amount of planets, stars, galaxies, angels, etc., that he has made. And yet, in the middle of a tiny galaxy, the Milky Way, somewhere in that galaxy, God has put this little pea-sized planet called Earth. And somewhere on that little pea-sized planet is you, my beloved friend, is you my beloved friend, and me. And yet, God is mindful of us. 
this great God that has created all of these things and kept record of them loves you and loves me and hears us when we pray and watches over us and protects us and who works on our behalf. Praise God for our great God who is so, so good. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Heaven's Library series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.